Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio season nine. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season nine is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love season nine. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class a show that demystifies history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're talking about how a scary discovery ultimately led to one of the greatest environmental success stories of the modern age. The day was May 16, 1985. The discovery of the Antarctic ozone hole was first reported in the scientific journal Nature. The landmark paper was written by three scientists from the British Antarctic Survey, Joe Farman, Brian Gardner, and Jonathan Shanklin. Using a device called a Dobson spectrophotometer, the team had been able to analyze the amount of ozone over the South Pole, and the results were not good. The ozone levels they detected were abnormally low in recent years, indicating severe damage to the Earth's atmosphere and a palpable risk to everyone who lived within it. Ozone, also known as trioxygen, is an inorganic molecule that absorbs ultraviolet radiation. It's mostly found in the planet's stratosphere, a layer of the atmosphere between 4 and 30 miles above the surface. The part of the stratosphere with the highest concentration of ozone gas is called the ozone layer, and it acts as a kind of invisible shield for the planet. That's because it absorbs nearly all of the sun's medium-frequency UV rays, harmful radiation 
that would otherwise reach the Earth's surface and do serious damage to plants, animals, and humans. Put simply, without the filtering effects of the ozone layer, life on Earth would not be possible. That grim reality was likely top of mind for the three scientists who found a hole in the ozone layer. The organization they worked for, the British Antarctic Survey, had been monitoring the ozone layer since the late 1950s, but no one realized it was thinning until decades later. Farman, Gardner, and Shanklin finally discovered the problem after noticing a drop in ozone concentrations above Antarctica over the course of several years. They compared the measurements of recent years with those of decades past and found that ozone values had actually been dropping steadily since the mid-1970s. The team's conclusion was that something in the stratosphere was destroying the ozone, and at an alarming rate, too. According to the data, the Antarctic ozone hole had formed in less than a decade and was growing larger each year. The speed of the ozone depletion pointed to human activity as the culprit, and thanks to prior research, the BAS scientists had a pretty good idea of where to lay the blame. A decade earlier, in 1974, scientists Mario Molina and F. Sherry Rowland published a paper theorizing that chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, could be harmful to Earth's ozone layer. The chemicals in question had always been considered harmless. In fact, they were widely used in all kinds of household appliances and products. Molina and Rowland suggested there was a hidden environmental danger to CFCs, but at the time, few people believed them. Large corporations aggressively disputed the claims, insisting their products weren't harmful to the environment. Some scientists contested the claims as well, while others minimized them, claiming that if there was ozone depletion, it would be minor and would only worsen over the course of centuries, if not longer. Once the idea of caution had been fully tossed aside, the use of CFCs grew exponentially, and so too did the damage to the ozone layer. Products with CFCs were sold all over the world, and when those products were used, the chlorofluorocarbons they contained were released into the atmosphere. The chemicals would then get trapped in clouds which form over the Antarctic during polar winter. Then, when sunlight returned each spring, the rays would trigger catalytic reactions in the airborne CFCs, and a small amount of ozone would be burnt up in the process. The accumulation and destruction of ozone and CFCs was a cycle that played out each year, but when humans began releasing more CFCs than ever before, we started burning off ozone at a faster rate than it could be replenished. In fact, it was later determined that those springtime reactions between the mid-1970s and 80s had destroyed ozone at a rate of about 1% per day. The BSA's findings were published in the Nature Scientific Journal in May of 1985. Not only did the team's paper present evidence of the ozone hole's existence, it also suggested a link to CFCs. NASA backed those claims a few months later, after one of its atmospheric scientists captured satellite imagery that clearly showed the ozone hole. Other researchers later confirmed that CFCs were indeed responsible for the annual depletion of ozone. The news came as vindication for the work of scientists Molina and Rowland, 
both of whom were eventually awarded the 1995 Nobel Prize in Chemistry. Still, for everyone else on the planet, confirmation of a gaping hole in the ozone layer was pretty bad news. The ozone depletion was happening much faster than anyone could have guessed, and the bigger the hole grew, the more dangerous it would become due to the increased levels of radiation that would pass through it. Scientists projected that if the hole were allowed to grow unchecked, there would be a drastic rise in skin cancer and cataracts, as well as a severe disruption of plant growth and a steep decline in marine life reproduction. The threat of rampant disease and dwindling food sources spurred the international community to take action in a way rarely seen before or since. The uncharacteristically proactive response was likely due to the relative ease with which the problem could be solved. All we had to do was stop producing and using CFCs, a far simpler prospect than giving up something like fossil fuels, for instance. It was so feasible, in fact, that just two years after ozone depletion was brought to the world's attention, 46 nations pledged to phase out the substances known to cause it. The agreement was called the Montreal Protocol, and it included steps to control, reduce, and eventually eliminate the production and use of CFCs and other ozone-depleting chemicals. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan famously described the protocol as, quote, the single most successful international agreement to date. And all these years later, it's hard to argue with him. The Montreal Protocol was ultimately signed by all 197 members of the United Nations, making it the first treaty in the organization's history to be adopted unanimously. As a result of that worldwide cooperation, scientists now predict that the ozone layer will return to its pre-1980 levels before the end of the 21st century. It'll take that long for the ozone layer to replenish itself because CFCs tend to have a rather long lifespan, with some persisting in the atmosphere for up to 150 years. So even though 98% of ozone-depleting chemicals were phased out of production by 2009, there are plenty of older ones still up there, destroying ozone as we speak. In the grand scheme of things, 100 years is a pretty rapid recovery. But don't forget, that century-long healing process is in response to a wound that only took humans about a decade to self-inflict. That unbalanced equation is a big reason why experts are so concerned about climate change. Humans have been contributing to global warming for far longer than it took us to punch a hole in the ozone layer, and we haven't been nearly as resolute about changing our harmful behavior. The solution to that problem, if it's not too late already, will be much more difficult than finding alternatives to CFCs. But if the Montreal Protocol teaches us anything, it's that where there's a will, there's a way. That said, the clock is ticking, so here's hoping we find that will sooner rather than later. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow 
for another day in history class. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, the podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.